Good morning. My name is Sega, and I have the pleasure of serving here at Lake Avenue Church, and I have my family here, my wife, Kadust, and my daughters, Grace and Meron. The season of Advent marks a time of remembrance for us as followers of Christ. We listen as the story of, the birth, of his birth unfolds each week, celebrating his first coming and anticipating that our Messiah comes again. This year, as we light each candle of Advent, let us hear the songs of exuberant joy, trust, and praise that sprang forth out of the mouth of those experiencing the most exciting birth in all of human history. Now we'll read God's word. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. His, oh, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And now we light the first candle of Advent. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Jaga and Kitty and Grace and Meron. Um, Pastor Jeff Matisic has been telling uh, Dwayne and Jaron and me all year, people like Christmas songs. We've got to sing at Advent Christmas songs that people know. And I think, don't you think he's right? Uh, most people do. And in fact, that's true all over the world. Uh, when I've been to places like Cambodia or Thailand or, or to China, where people don't know anything about Jesus or the church or anything, they like uh, Christmas songs. They may not be able to tell the difference between Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But I think a lot of people in America don't know the difference between them either. But uh, the people seem to like Christmas songs. So if you do, I think you'll love this uh, Christmas season here at Lake Avenue Church. We're going to be going through the very first four uh, Christmas songs. Uh, they're all recorded. They're all recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2. And so this first Sunday of Advent, 
Um, what we're going to do is look at the first one. That's probably a good place to start, don't you think? It's the song that uh, this young woman named Mary broke out with and sang when she, she came to realize that God really knew her. I mean, I, I think of her as being uh, people like us, showing up at church for her, it had been her religious services in her synagogue, and, but doing all the religious things. But now she knew that it's real. God broke into her life, and uh, she had to just break forth into song. Her song is called Magnificat, as we sang today. Oh, magnify. I'm going to be singing that song all week. Don't you think you're going to be? Uh, Anne and Rich and Jeremy, I think that song captures... The, the spirit of this song more than any I've ever heard. She broke out into song, though, if you were listening carefully to the scripture reading, some of the things she wrote about are countercultural. I mean, they go against the way most people have thought and continue to think. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, first, I want to think about what what is it that caused her to sing? What led to her doing this song? And then number two, I want to think about what she sang. We've got to do that quickly. OK, so what made her sing? And here it is. The eternal God broke into her life. It was real. So you, you read in, in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 28. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and, and told Mary, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, Luke goes on to tell the story here of how this leads to her singing. But one of the things I want you to see is he tells it in two different scenes. Uh, the first one didn't lead to singing. It took something else to happen. So let, let's let him walk us through this thing. Scene number one, I call it how this young woman named Mary obeyed God even when she didn't quite get it. I mean, and she surely didn't feel like it. So here, here's what happened. Uh, one day, you can imagine this, she was probably... 15, 16 years old, maybe even younger. She was there on her own, and an angel appears to her, breaks into her life, and says, God knows you, and he's going to bless you, Mary, by giving you a child who is going to reign over an eternal and universal kingdom. Now, all of us kind of have high hopes for our kids, but I'm telling you, none quite, none quite this high when, when you really think about it. Now, I think most of you know this story pretty well. Maybe you don't, but most of you, I think you do. So I'm just going to focus on one thing of the many things I'd like to say. The one thing I want you to think about is how reticent and even sober uh, Mary's response is to what the angel said to her. You're going to have a child. If you look at verse 29, if you have a Bible, uh, Mary is greatly troubled. Wouldn't you be if an angel popped into your life? Don't you think you'd be greatly troubled? But especially verse 34, Mary is just confused. She says, how is this going to be that I'm going to have a child, you know, when I'm a virgin? And I think I would ask that too, wouldn't you? So I want you to put yourself into Mary's shoes. It's a little bit hard for us to do that here in Southern California. Let me tell you, all the evidence shows us that Mary and probably Joseph, the one that she was betrothed to, had come from a very conservative uh, background in a very sort of scriptural, faithful group. It was in a small backwater uh, village called Nazareth. So, you know, when I, I was in growing up, uh, sometimes you would hear good girls don't when it comes to uh, sexual practice outside of marriage. Well, that maxim, good girls don't, that would have been strong in, in Mary's family and in Mary's life because virginity 
uh, was viewed as one of the highest estates of a young woman before she was married. It was one of the key things for her to even be able uh, to get married. It, it, it was a sign that a, that a person had, had, had been faithful. It was a, a sign that a person had been willing to honor God. And so the, the thing that almost ruined a life is if a young woman would become pregnant. And I'm telling you, when the angel broke into her life, I'm sure that Mary knew that this pregnancy could absolutely ruin her life. Don't you imagine she started thinking about this, thinking no matter how passionately I turn to people and say, I, but, but, but I haven't had sex with any man. God did it. God did it. I mean, you know, we wouldn't buy that in our day. And you know what she thought of her, all of her family and friends would say in that little town. So what I want you to see right up front is that Mary's response to Gabriel's news wasn't this exuberant joy filled. She didn't break out into song yet. But simply what she did, this is amazing to me, was obedience. It feels like almost resignation. It's surrender. And if I can sort of put it in my own words, verse 38, she said, I don't really get it. But I'm telling you, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, she takes her faith seriously. And if this is God's call upon my life, I will do it. And then that telling phrase, let it be according to your word. So already I'm hoping you see that this story about Mary teaches us one of the most basic things that, that any one of us who comes to church and says, I really want to live for God. One of the most basic parts of it is that sometimes God's word calls us to live a, a life that isn't what we would choose. And sometimes God sends us into places that we wouldn't go and, and sometimes we can't make sense of it. So I've written this for you to, cons to think about and ruminate on. God often calls us to do difficult things. Do you agree? Sometimes God calls us to live in a way that we cannot understand. But I want to assure you, God knows what he's doing. He has a plan for what he's doing. If God is taking you through a difficult time, it's not purposeless. God, God sees more than we see. Mary couldn't see it. And so often I want you to know when you follow God, sometimes things will come that he asks you to do, that God's word asks you to do, that you're not going to see it. But, but we live by faith, so we have to learn to walk with God in obedience to his word by faith until we see more fully as God sees. So the thing I want you to see, this difficulty that Mary thought would come her way, she might have thought, God would never ask me to do this, but it wasn't outside of his plan. It was a part of his plan. It was central to his plan. God saw that there was a greater good, a much, much greater good that he was going to bring about through this thing that was going to be hard. Do you see this? And it was going to be both for Mary and ultimately for us as well. So now here we gather two, over 2,000 years afterwards. We're, we're here in uh, Pasadena, California. And those of us who are following Jesus, we know that God knew what he was doing. I mean, that this prophecy had been there, that a child would be born through a virgin. And this was the way you could really know that this was the child that people had been waiting for. What you and I have to learn to do is to do what Mary did. Sometimes we'll open up the Bible or you'll come to church and you'll see that God's calling you to live in a way that nobody else is. You and I have to learn to trust that God's way is not worse, it is better. That when we don't see the goodness of God, that we trust the goodness of God. Uh, you may need to hear that today. I just think maybe some of you are walking through some tough times. 
And do you think, is God just punishing me? What's going on here? I want you to know that God is there. I want you to trust him. Okay, that brings us to scene two. She's not singing yet. Do you see that? She's not singing yet. So the scene two, we come back again. And I call it how a community of faith actually helped confirm God's leading and lead to the singing. So you've got to picture it. Now pregnant Mary, 14, 15 years old, hurries away from that little town of Nazareth, goes about 100 miles away to this hill country outside of Jerusalem, goes in to see her relatives, priest Zechariah, and his old, old wife named Elizabeth, who was pregnant, it was a different kind of miracle. Um, My mom was the 11th of 11 kids. This is back in West Virginia, the hills. You may know these kinds of stories. But when my grandmother had my mom, my grandmother was 51 years old. That's pretty miraculous. Anybody think so? Women, anyone have a child at 51? Nobody raising their hand now. Well, this was much, much, much older. So that was already one sort of a miracle because God had said that there would be a forerunner pointing the way to the Messiah. And that was going to be John the Baptist. And it's all in the story there in Luke. You can read about it. But anyway, this is what I want you to see. Uh, Mary goes walking into the house of her relatives. And the moment she walks in and says, greetings. That baby who was inside of, of, of Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, somehow recognized that the baby that was inside of this young Mary, who was Jesus, the Messiah, he had this, what do you call it, interuterine recognition. (laughs) That's the one you've been waiting for, and he leaps with joy. And, and And then Elizabeth herself has this incredible insight. She discerns somehow that the mother of my Lord has come into my house, verse 43. So here's the point that you shouldn't miss. With that affirmation, within her faith family, both the baby leaping and and Elizabeth's word, something happened to Mary. She, She began to realize, this is true. Don't you almost imagine, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but sometimes you sense that there's something that God has said to you or would have you to do, and yet when you go away you wonder, did I just dream that? Was that real? I get a sense when I read this story of Mary that she may have gone away from this time with Gabriel and thought, wait a minute, is is this real? Is this true? I mean, she was obeying, which I just love about her. She was obeying faithfully, but she was still very, very uncertain. But then when she walked into her community of faith and other people recognized that it was like, this is real. God is in this thing. And, And it was like, when I read it, it's like a release happens inside of her. And she has to break out into joy. In, in this, I, I want to make a point to you. I, there are so many things I wanted to say to you about Mary's song. But this is one that I've, is so important to me because it's been central to my own walk with God. That sometimes we sense from reading, reading God's word or praying or just unexpected times that God is there and there's something he would have us to do. But then we become very uncertain about it, especially if it's something hard. And in my own life, so many times, it's when I've gathered together with other people who also are wanting to know God and seeking God, that that thing that I had on my own becomes real to me, as others confirm it. It it happened with me becoming a pastor. I, I began to sense that when I was a junior in high school. But I really wanted to do some other things that I thought I could make more money doing. So <clears throat> I didn't know if that was real. Until I had a group of people in the church come to me and say, Greg, we, we sense that God's hand is on you. 
And, and it was just like an affirmation deep in my heart that this is what, that's still affecting my life, right? And actually, coming even here to Lake Avenue Church happened a whole lot like that. From the first time Chris and I came here uh, to Lake Avenue Church and into Pasadena, we fell in love with you and with this, this whole city and, and wanted to come, uh, partially because the weather's better than Chicago. I just, <laughs> all right, there's some basic human reasons for this, I, I know. But, but it was when we actually came here and this whole process came where it just seemed almost a uni- unanimous affirmation that it was like a coin drops inside, that this is not just the choice that you make, but God's choice upon you. Many times when I've done weddings for some of you, I've, I've pointed that out too. My prayer is that you'll come to see uh, when some difficulties hit your marriage, that this wasn't just your choice of one another, because sometimes those feelings come and go and the issues change that may have brought you to that. But God's choice for you, it helps you to walk through the challenging and difficult times. This is one of the things I've written this for you. I just honestly believe that you understand Jesus better. You understand what it means to walk with him better when you really walk together with your church community. It's within a community of other believers that leading of God that you sensed in your personal life so often is confirmed. Anybody else ever experienced this? Well, three of us. So, okay. So yeah. Mary wasn't sure of this experience. She had so little joy in it. Until another believer confirmed what God had said. Alone, she was beautifully faithful and obedient. Even though she was uncertain, let's learn that. But I'll tell you, in community, she said, this is real. And once she was released, the the joy just couldn't be contained. And she broke out, out into song. So what did she sing? So her lyrics are found in chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. If you have a Bible in your phone or in front of you, just look at that. Uh, she sang a little bit about her and a little bit about no, and a lot about God. Uh, uh, the part about her was in verses uh, 46 to 49, and you can see in the verse 48 that all generations are going to call me blessed. It's about me, but for the Lord is the one who's done it, has done great things. So, I read this story. I envision Mary walking into her relative's house, you know, and and. Um, when this happens, suddenly, what would happen if this happened in your house? She just broke out into this, this song. Um, it's really a profound song. That's one of the things that amazes me. She obviously knows the scriptures. Uh, she had taken kind of like Tracy's prayer, took a lot of the things in scripture and, and put them all together. She didn't quote them word for word, especially a song by another mother named Hannah. She just knew it. And when a situation came, she applied what she knew about God's word to her life, which is the thing, Pastor Jeff, you and I are praying that everybody's going to do that here. Don't you? We'll get to know what's, what's here, and when the situations come, we'll know how to apply it. So that's what she does. First of all, to herself, about her, and she, she just said, I am a recipient of the blessing and mercy of God. I think uh, the song that we sang captured it. It is a song of the soul stirred by God. It's a spontaneous outbreak of a young woman who's been overwhelmed by something more wonder-filled than she could have ever imagined would happen to her. Because in her culture, she would have been a nobody. She was young, and they didn't value young people in the way that American society does. She had absolutely no education. She really didn't have any future except maybe to be a mother, and now that's going to be in question in terms of being within a family because of this thing that had happened to her. 
But Jal, she, she discovers that though almost nobody would respect her in her world, the God who made the heaven and the earth knew her. He had chosen her. He was ready to bless her. That, that God cares about people in this world that nobody else in this world even notices. Do you think that's true? That this matter of the God that you and I believe in is not a matter of of our standing in the world or the level of education that we have or the the job title that we have or the amount of money that we have. He, He doesn't care about that. He sees his image in you. He knows you. He he loves you. And that's what she saw. And it's still true. Um. Verse 50, she just says, God's mercy is for all who fear him from generation to generation. Who's in that all? One, two. All right. I'm just trying to find if anybody's even listening here. So she goes on to sing. She's saying, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Do you call Mary blessed? Do Do you call her that? Don't you think in our non-Catholic churches we're almost afraid to speak about how blessed Mary was? I think she should have sung from now on all generations, except of course for a few evangelicals in North America, will call me blessed. I want us to accept unreservedly today, God blessed this young woman, Mary. I don't think anybody's ever been blessed the way he blessed her. Uh, Mary carried the incarnate Son of God in her womb. I mean, amazing. On on the other side, you know, I studied with the Jesuits, um, where my many friends, who I think have venerated uh, Mary beyond uh, what I think should be done, um, she, she did see her own need of a Savior. Her song begins with that, God, my Savior. She felt the need of rescue. She needed mercy. She saw how humble she was. So here's what I want you to hear carefully. There's so much to honor about Mary. Um, she, she was faithful to know God's word. When God called her, she, she didn't just have it in her head. She, she lived it out. She, she continued to live for him even though it was really hard. There's just so much that I bless about her. She was a, but at the same time, she knew that she was a recipient of God's unfathomable mercy. And it's her acknowledgement of that that led her to sing. I have found, uh, of all the people that I have met, and now I've gotten old enough, I've met a lot of people, those who just really love God and just have that joy that radiates, you know, a real genuine love of God, always have one question. Always ask, how, I didn't earn this. How do I deserve this, God? I know myself and I know that you're perfect. How, how can you even enter into the life of an unholy person like me? It's that kind of question. Do you feel that? That you need God's mercy to have any hope? It'll change your life if you do. If you feel that it'll pull any kind of pride away from you. Mary felt that question too. That was a part of her greatness. I think I've written for you that, that this kind of humility and wonder are unmistakable marks of all of us who have stood in the presence of our holy God long enough to realize that we deserve punishment for our sins. But he's given us mercy instead. So I I think a big part of what Mary is singing in her song is everything that I've learned about God my whole life, it really is true. God knows and blesses people, even lowly ones like me. And the same is true for us as we gather here.
So that's what, what she sings about herself. Then, in the second part of her song, and here we're drawing near the end, it's about God, verses 50 to 55. And, and what I see when I boil this all down is she sings about what God does is always consistent with who he is. Uh, when you get to know more about God, then the things that he actually does are going to be consistent with the nature of God. I've written that God's acts are consistent with his character. So she starts thinking about that. She knew God's word well. She draws together all of these different passages, and she thinks about one particular aspect at first, about who God is. Verse 49, she says, God is holy. Do you know what that word means? I, I don't think most of us do. Uh, it means different from. God, God is different from the way people are in the world. In every way better. It's the way we're supposed to be, but it's not the way we usually are. <laughs> God is holy, he is unlimited in his power, but even his use of his power is different from the way people in this world use his power. He uses his power to actually help other people. In our world, people use the power to get more power, or use our power to make ourselves wealthier or richer. Jesus, God uses his power to lift up the humble and to care about people that nobody else cares about. So she sings about this. Listen to her sing. Uh, his mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. What does God do? He scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He brings down rulers from their thrones while at the same time he lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things but sends the rich away empty. This isn't the way of our world. And this phrase, he remembers his mercy. I want you to mark that line down and never forget it. God remembers his mercy. Or he acts in ways consistent with the fact that he is merciful. So, so here's the lesson. God will always act in ways consistent with who he is. God is not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world. God then, different from most powerful people in this world, notices and cares for people that others ignore. God blesses those who are humble before him. Even if we've messed up before, if we come and are humble before him, he will bless us. He wants us to trust in him, even if the world doesn't act that way. So I'll just tell you, if you come to church today and you feel some agony because you have messed up yet again, uh, not only wondering whether there's even forgiveness available, but what your future will be like, you're in a good position of humbly coming to God and saying, Oh Lord, I, I'm not worthy of anything, but will you receive me? God will remember his mercy. He loves to show mercy. He loves to forgive and he loves to take the people that nobody else would ever think will amount to anything and make great things out of them. Do great things through them. And that includes you and it includes me. And now to us. Okay. Isn't this a beautiful part of God? He'll always act according to the fact that he's love, that he's grace, that he is merciful. I want the whole world to know that God is like that. But you know, most of the people in Pasadena aren't going to come in and hear me preach and tell them that, right? How are people going to find out that God is like this? Anybody have a good idea? Here's the consistent message of Scripture. That God comes into our lives and begins changing our values to reflect his ways. And sends us out into the world. And the, and the Bible's word is to glorify him. Uh, we are to show the world what God is like. 
Even if nobody else in the world is like that, we are to show the world what God is like. And here we see what God is like is that he is mercy. And when he sees hurting people who don't know that they belong, he steps in and he lifts up and he says, I know you and you belong. That's, that's what God does. And, and amen. And that, and that is something that directs almost everything that we do here as a church. At least I pray that it directs it. That, that's why we have this relationship uh, with um, the Door of Hope, a ministry that, that works with families who are homeless. Because God has placed us here in this neighborhood, in this community, to reflect his ways. And when we see families without a place to sleep, God, God notices that thing and he lifts up the humble and he sends us to do the same. When people begin to see that and it's real, they'll see what God is like. This is why, and I'm going to be a little bit more controversial here. This is why we have this partnership right here in North Lake with the Women's Pregnancy Care Clinic. Uh, because even though so many people, and I know it's a politically sensitive and, and very hard thing sometimes personally for folks, even though many people say that unborn children in the womb may not be fully human, we, we even look at this story of Jesus and, and John the Baptist in the womb. We know better. We know that if God says, I'll be the, a voice for the voiceless, that if there's anybody in the world who's the voiceless who need a voice, it is those unborn children and so that's why we come alongside and say to a mom who will keep that child, we're not going to let you be alone because God wouldn't let you be alone. We've got to reflect the ways and the mercy of God. If that, if that, this, this will direct us. In fact, I am so convinced that, that if you and I believe this, that our main role is to glorify God, mainly to reflect his ways to our world. It will guide us through many of the things that divide this world. We're going to have so many things with where our world is divided politically and sometimes we're almost afraid to even know what to do. And yet we're going to come back and we'll say, what is God like? And we're going to get some guidance. I honestly think that some of the issues like dealing with immigration and last week, Pastor Jeff, when he talked about the relocation of refugees and as we more and more have gotten involved in trying to find ways of helping folks that come out of being incarcerated that we look at that and we know that there are challenges. And I, I've heard all week about those just talking about the, this matter of how you deal with that. But I think that this one matter is, Lord, what are you like? And we read this Mary song and he says, I am a God of mercy. And then we say, then, then we have to lift up the humble and, and fill the hungry with good things. It's going to be something that ties us together in an otherwise broken world. The issues we're going to have to address as one community are going to become more and more difficult in the future. I mean, the ones I've mentioned now are just what's happening now. The effects of evil and sin in our world will cause further, further division. But we as a church are here to glorify God and allow his. We're not going to be conformed to the ways of the world, but to the ways of God. And, and that will guide us together through these difficulties. Now, our nation's leaders have some really tough things they have to do. Uh, they have to figure out how to do policy. Do you agonize with our leaders about that? How to process different kinds of things like these matters of immigration. How to deal with the racial conflict that is there. I mean, our nation's leaders have to do that. Our role for most of us is that in our country we have the opportunity to vote and show we, we should vote with as much wisdom as we have for people who will administer justice with mercy. And I'll tell you, if they get into office and, and, and we say, that's not what I wanted them to do, we're still going to do what the Bible commands us to do. We're going to pray for them, 
Even if the best we can pray, help them to do better than that, God. I mean, we're going to pray that God will lead and direct people. Uh, some of us, um, I believe, in a church like this, this big, are going to be called to be involved in public policy and the political arena. And, and if God's call is upon you for that, you might need an angelic presence visiting you to tell you to do it. But I pray, I, I pray that you will do it. But I'm telling you this. We have been planted here in Southern California... Uh, to reflect his glory. And when he brings people across our paths who are hurting or don't feel like any, there's any place in this world that they belong, we know we will remember God's mercy and we'll fill the hungry with good things and we'll lift up those who are humble. Anybody say amen to this? Uh, um. We must remember God's mercy as God remembered his mercy. And I'm telling you that will guide us through it in a way that will bring glory to his name. Now, I think one of my biggest concerns as a 21st century pastor is that I and many of us who come to Lake Avenue Church are on the side of the spectrum where we've just been blessed in ways that the world sees blessing. I mean, many of us just have tremendous education. What an advantage. Some of us have great job titles and oversee people. I have a great job title, Senior Pastor Lake Avenue. I love it. It's a, it's a great, great job title. Um, many of us have possessions that, that most of the world did not have. So we're in, in danger. If you read the rest of Mary's song, we're more in danger of being the proud who have to be humbled by God rather than being the humble who go out and lift up others who are humble. How are we going to be what God would have us to be, brothers and sisters? I think the key is what we're going to do now. I think the key is to live every day of our lives humbled by the cross. That we look at that cross, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that what that is declaring to you and me, and what we're going to remember in taking these elements, is this, that I don't deserve anything. I have walked away from God. All I deserve is punishment, but he has shown me mercy. I had to have a sinless one die in my place. There can be no pride for us. It was the greatest act of mercy ever shown in history the sending of Jesus to die in the place of sinners and recognition that though you and I deserve punishment because of our sin this is going to be hallelujah stuff God does not give punishment to us he gave us Jesus instead that's the gospel Jesus bore our punishment on the cross so that you and I can live I, I'm pretty sure Mary, when she wrote this song, um, didn't fully fathom all of that, do you think? I think the song might have been a bit different. When we get to the fourth song of Advent, she had to see it a little bit more. But you and I know, you and I know what Jesus was going to have to do for God to be her Savior and ours. And I'll tell you, I feel like in our world that you and I constantly have to remember His mercy. So we're going to do that now. We're going to do that now. We're going to remember that three decades plus after singing this song, uh, the same Jesus was there at a last supper, uh, just knowing he was going to die, uh, and yet going to do it anyway. And he took out first the bread and he broke it. This is going to happen to me, but this is my body, and it is given for you. The mercy of God. 
Uh, knowing that you and I would continue to wrestle with a need of forgiveness. Really, every time we show up at church, right? Can I have a witness? We, we remember this last. We, this is my blood. It is poured out for the forgiveness, cleansing of your sin. Uh, keep coming together as a church community uh, in remembrance of me. So this is what I wanted to do. I'll ask our stewards to come to the table. For those visiting with us, uh, if you follow Jesus, this is his table. You can come and join us. Um, if, if you're not ready to do that, just stay right where you are. Others will stay where you are too. So come if you can. If, you can, um, if your life has been given to Jesus, um, receive the elements, take the cup and take the bread and go back to your seat. Uh, If you can't come for any reason, our stewards will bring it out to you. Uh, The table all the way to my right to your left, that's the gluten-free table. Shows you we're in the 21st century world, right? So be sure to go there as well. I want you to uh, think about this. Um, All of us can think about this. Is there something in your life that you know that God would have you to do? It might be turning away from something that feels like it's become an addiction. It might be a step of obedience like Mary had to do. Will you take just a moment to surrender that thing to him and say, I'm your servant, be it to me according to your word. And then come and receive the elements and then I'll come back up and we'll receive them together.